0: Three
1: or four years ago, Congressman Don Beyer started to get curious about artificial
2: intelligence. I ran across a Coursera course from Stanford on uh, AI, and I thought, this will be great. I'll I'll do this. And the first three weeks were wonderful. And I was really impressed with just the math and even the geometry of of discovering new things from, from data. And then I took the first exam and got a zero. He
1: tried to teach himself linear algebra, but that wasn't working out either. So he gave up. Beyer is a Democrat who represents Virginia's 8th district. That's Arlington, Alexandria, a lot of the D.C. burbs. Then, about a year and a half ago, he went to visit George Mason University. It's in his district, to see its new innovation lab.
2: And I said, this is cool. Can I take a course here? And they looked at me funny and said, well, we'll we'll check. Um, Anyway, they let me in at that point as a 71-year-old. So now I'm in my fifth course with another probably 11 courses before my uh, artificial intelligence master's degree.
1: So, yeah, he's a 73-year-old congressman pursuing a master's in AI. What do your colleagues in the house think of
2: this? Well, initially, I would bring my math homework to the house floor, which was uh, an attractive nuisance. They would all come over and say, what are you doing? And then they'd look at it and then they'd run away. But the fun part is, when I started this a little more than a year and a half ago, most of us had not heard of chat GPT, GPT-4, um, large language models. And in the meantime, all that has exploded and so too has the debate about what does AI policy look like? What should the guardrails be? And by virtue of my undergraduate courses, I get to be in the middle of the debate.
1: Right now, that debate is exploding in Washington. Bayer says he's talked to members of Congress from both parties about legislation that focuses on privacy and on fighting bias in AI.
2: You know, it's always a little humbling because uh, I'm not... In a laboratory doing AI, I I haven't invented or created anything. But on the other hand, we look back at what a lousy job Congress, myself included, um, did creating guardrails for social media and think, you know, we, we have to take this responsibility seriously, no matter how naive we are.
1: Whether Washington can keep up with Silicon Valley is a different question. Technology moves really fast.
2: And this faster than anything.
1: Congress respectfully does not. Oh,
2: come on. (laughs) I can't believe you said that.
1: Do you worry that you all will not be able to to keep up with AI, will not be able to put the kind of guardrails in that you would like to see?
2: In the short run, I absolutely worry that we can't keep up. And that, I think, is probably why President Biden pulled together those the heads of those seven tech firms last week and essentially said, you are at the center of the maelstrom. In the short run, you're responsible for developing guardrails and guidelines and, and ethical uh, walls and, and let us know what you've decided. Almost a self-regulatory regime. You know, self-regulatory in the long run probably is way too dangerous. You just need one egomaniac or somebody that's too selfish.
1: What the future looks like is still unclear. It might mean an independent agency to regulate AI. It might mean new laws from Congress. But at least for now, the momentum feels real. Today on the show, can Washington keep up with AI? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around.
3: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day.
1: So first it was Dade County.
0: Voters in the Miami
4: area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin.
0: In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people.
2: And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. If we lose here, it'll be
1: 50 years before we ever get back up again.
0: Like the drag queen say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back.
2: First of all, thanks. Thanks for coming. Uh, and I want to thank my colleagues here for taking the time to come back again and again. You heard
1: Don Byer mention a White House meeting last week. That's where the Biden administration brought together the heads of seven different AI companies. A lot of the big names were there. Meta, Google, OpenAI. It's the kind of quote-unquote summit that happens when you have a new and splashy industry and sometimes precedes a big regulatory push in D.C. Companies come in, talk to the administration in power, and often agree to some basic safeguards for their industry.
2: And today I'm pleased to announce that these seven companies have agreed to voluntary commitments for responsible innovation.
1: According to McKenna Kelly, who covers politics and policy for The Verge, this
3: was sort of a gentle opening salvo from the White House on AI policy. For almost the past year, the Biden administration has been pushing for some kind of regulation on artificial intelligence. And over the past, I don't know, six months, that industry has grown tremendously, not just in size, but also in influence. And so I think last week, that meeting at the White House was really the Biden administration saying, oh, we need to do something quick, quicker than Congress and quicker than the regulatory agencies are working already.
1: Yeah, I feel like at least back when I covered Congress and the White House, y- you would have these kind of voluntary meetings, usually with with big businesses. They would come in, they would make some sort of vague pledge, and then it would be kind of up in the air to figure out the details. I, I know you started trying to figure out the details, so can you tell me a little bit about your conversations with these
3: companies? Well, as much as the White House wanted to make universal requirements for all these companies, they all had kind of agreed to do different things. One specific example was the watermarking requirement the White House requested. Here's something that's trending on TikTok right now. People want to use AI to place their faces on professional headshots. Hmm. So they don't have to pay for someone to take their photos. That can be oftentimes be expensive. And many people need those kinds of headshots for their LinkedIn profiles or whatever else they use. So if you or I were to create something like that, uh, these systems will be required to have a watermark there to be, to say, hey, this is AI-generated content and able to disclose that to users. That has to do with um, combating misinformation, disinformation, and, and just building trust with users. Uh, when I surveyed some of these companies, Google had already said that it was going to have some sort of watermark at its I.O. conference earlier this year, but OpenAI went further and said that, that they were going to create APIs for social media platforms, other platforms to integrate into their systems, which would then imagine you're on Facebook and you see a piece of information that says this is false information. The third party fact checkers have tagged it as that. Basically, if you see one of these AI generated pieces of content on a social media platform, the API, the application programming interface, right, would allow for A similar disclosure. Uh, So that just at the platform level. So it had went from just like a little image watermarked on it that's created to even going through to that API level. Something else that they weren't totally in agreement on was including the metadata behind the image. So even if there isn't a physical watermark on that image, if we go and look at the code in it, it would have the metadata saying that this was generated by so-and-so platform.
1: It wasn't hard McKenna says for the companies to agree to these things because they're already doing a lot of them. And again, these are voluntary commitments. All carrot, no stick. Over on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue where Don Beyer sits, there's been a little movement on AI regulation, but not a ton.
3: Congress has been trying to do stuff. Senator Chuck Schumer has proposed this framework for how lawmakers should approach AI regulation, but those things traditionally move very, very slow. So when we look at the executive branch, it does have some powers that Congress doesn't have. It, it has the bully pulpit, the presidential bully pulpit to kind of press these companies to do stuff um, immediately. And it also has executive powers. So this specific meeting was to get all the major stakeholders, all the major companies to set that standard Because when we look at, like, the seven companies that showed up, there are so many AI startups that weren't there. Yeah. Right? And that could be doing whatever, adhering to whatever rules. The big companies are setting the standard. That's important. But... It's not like there's any kind of enforcement mechanism here. The White House also said on that press briefing with reporters that there is an executive order coming down the line. Now, they kind of declined to give any real description of what that EO would be, basically just said it was going to be an interagency effort. When we talk about why this meeting was important, it's because the executive branch can really move the fastest out of the other branches of government. I think
1: you and I are used to thinking and talking about AI, but for A lot of people, it's either like, ooh, cool toy I can play with on the internet, or they don't care. So I guess I wonder when Washington writ broadly is thinking about this, whether it's the executive branch or Congress or the agencies, what are they worried about?
3: There are a lot of things. So when Senator Chuck Schumer first put out his safe innovation framework just a couple weeks ago, he outlined some things that he wanted Lawmakers to think about when it comes to regulation. One is national security. Uh, We can think about that in many ways of implementing AI into cybersecurity systems, something like that, but also just creating better systems than America's, you know, foreign adversaries. China, of course, is moving really, really fast on AI as well. There's a lot of pressure to make sure that the United States is coming out on top because if the US has the better systems, they can set the standards. Another thing is we're going into an election year, 2024. Uh, we've already seen AI used to create political ads. Uh, the RNC created this weirdly dystopian ad um, about the if Biden were reelected, basically showing, oh, China now feels empowered to invade Taiwan, all of these scary looming things.
4: This morning an emboldened China Financial markets are in free fall as 500 regional banks have shuttered their doors.
3: We've seen um, DeSantis include AI. Now, I don't think they've specifically said that they had, but there is some kind of technology there to create false images. Responding to DeSantis stuff, Trump created an audio uh, thing on social media, basically placing DeSantis in a Twitter space, a fake Twitter space, with horrible historical figures like Hitler.
2: Uh, anyway, guys, we uh, invited everyone to this uh, this Twitter space so Governor Ron DeSantis could.
3: <coughs> everyone, just shut the hell up so I can make my announcement. Okay,
2: you go, girl. Wait, the devil is gay.
3: So what? Everyone in this. Also, we've had um, a lot of conversations at the White House with civil rights leaders and also just labor rights organizers recently, talking about the losses of jobs that could happen with AI rolling out more broadly. We've already had people sounding the alarm about getting rid of truck drivers with AVs. We've already had journalists like myself (laughs) who get a little spooked about, well, what if AI just starts generating all of these articles? CNET has done that. Gizmodo has already started doing that. So there's a lot of threats there to job loss as well.
1: When we come back, the AI industry says, please regulate us, please. Should we believe them? There have already been some AI-related hearings in Congress. Um, OpenAI, Sam Altman, told the Senate, "You know, we believe the benefits of the tools we've deployed so far vastly outweigh the risks. And then he had this line, we think that regulatory intervention by governments will be critical to mitigate the risks of increasingly powerful models, which I don't know. I feel like there's this dance that sometimes company heads do where they come to Washington and say, "Okay, please regulate us. And I have a bit of a like, sure, Jan um, face. And yet I I wonder how that goes over. Like when members of Congress are hearing that, do they take those pleas into account and and craft the regulations accordingly? Like what's what's happening behind the scenes? I wouldn't say that
3: they take these things accordingly, right? Um, But they do take them into consideration. Altman and all the other AI companies have seen what has happened with tech, uh, the anger that is there the aggressiveness that is there, the pervasiveness of trying to regulate the industry and the hostility, right, between the tech companies and lawmakers, that they're trying to put a shiny, happy face on AI and say, we want to get this right. There's also, strangely, unlike with social media regulation, AI has this very much, um, end-of-the-world uh, folklore behind it. Totally. People go, like, full Skynet. Exactly. So there's that also that, like, gravity to AI um, that I think, you know, companies are trying to mitigate as well. You've talked to some
1: lawmakers who are, are working on some of these proposals. Can you tell me a little bit about those conversations?
3: Just earlier this year, I was meeting with Senator Mark Warner from Virginia for something totally different, talking about uh TikTok. Uh, which is another thing that uh, Congress is saying is national security threat. But when I was sitting with him, he was like talking about how Congress was caught on their back foot with tech regulation. It took them a long time to even really figure out what it is that the platforms were doing, how they operated um, and how they were affecting their audiences, not just adults, but children as well. But he said, when it comes to AI, Like they need to get moving and they need to get moving fast. Uh, And I think that also has to do with a lot of that folklore uh, about it being such a powerful weapon, but also just realizing that over the past how many years, Cambridge Analytica in 2018 with Facebook, uh, where... It was found out that all of these users had the access to their data granted by folks who really didn't have the best intentions. And so before things like that can get out of hand, I think Congress has in some ways learned from their mistakes. And learning a lesson is one thing, right? But acting on that is totally different. And I don't know if we'll be able to figure out whether or not they have figured this out, learned this lesson and are acting on it until we see actual viable legislation that moves fast. And I guess even under the current Congress that we have now, it has to be bipartisan in nature.
1: I was wondering about the party splits here. Like, are there, you know, distinct policy positions on the Democratic side, on the Republican side?
3: For however long I've been covering Congress when it comes to like tech regulation, when something bad happens, like Cambridge or whatever, every lawmaker, regardless of party, is like, oh my gosh, we have to do something about it. And I think we're still kind of in that stage where most lawmakers are like, look at this bad thing. We have to do something. <laughs> I don't really think it's necessarily a party-line division as much as it is a division between lawmakers on both parties that are a bit more business friendly and lawmakers that have more of a consumer advocacy focus. Hmm. So when I think of business friendly lawmakers who want to regulate AI, Mark Warner is one. uh, And then Representative Ro Khanna, uh, who represents Silicon Valley is another, but they're not really calling for anything too strict. And like, uh, they've always been a bit hesitant to do anything too prescriptive and, you know, heavy handed. And then again, in that same bucket, I would say something like the Republican whip in the Senate, John Thune, he himself has also been wanting to work on tech issues, but also of course, from a more business friendly perspective, whereas I can see more progressive leaning folks, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren in the House, AOC, those folks taking a more consumer advocate lens and wanting to be a bit more heavy handed and have the government playing more of a role instead of allowing these AI companies to really take charge and self-regulate and set these standards and keep moving on these products, right? Setting the standard right before Congress acts.
1: The other side of this, you know, we've talked about the executive, we talked about Congress, and then we have the agencies. At the FTC, Lena Kahn has been very muscular in terms of going after various companies with a mixed record. Um, But she has not been shy, and tech certainly knows that. Um, How does the FTC regard AI?
3: I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I do think oftentimes agencies and the power that they have uh, to set limits and restrictions on tech gets lost in the conversation very often. Just in recent history, the FTC has been able to renegotiate orders and contracts it's had with major tech companies uh, to revise their behaviors. I'm thinking just recently with Amazon and its Alexa product. Uh, there was some really scary stuff coming out there about how workers at the company were accessing the private recordings of people—not just um, audio recordings, but video recordings yeah. of people in their bedrooms, in their bathrooms—and the FTC was able to use these accusations to reach a settlement, saying that they can't give access, this kind of access, to workers and contractors ever again. So that, you know, kind of targets the major players and the people who could oftentimes be the worst actors. And so when I think about the two agencies that I imagine playing a really big role in AI, of course the FTC. Lena Khan like you said hasn't been shy. She's also said that under current law, she can she can go after these companies for discrimination, for false advertising, for fraudulent fraudulent behavior. This is all stuff the FTC is authorized to do under the FTC Act. Again with the Federal Elections Commission when it comes to AI and political ads, uh the FEC has also said that under current law, they're able to go after um, disclosures in AI and political ads. Now, they've declined to create specific rules. There's been some petitions there where they've been voted 3-3, meaning they don't go anywhere. Um, now, a lot of those petitions have been revised, and I think they're mulling over specific rules again. But when it comes to the regulatory agencies and enforcing laws that are on the books, I think there is some momentum there, if not just to investigate, but to, again, set standards at that level as well. And while
1: the White House may issue an executive order around AI, it would likely only apply
3: to the government's use of it. So how much power does an EO actually have? It's really hard to do stuff with private companies. Um, We've seen that with private lenders and student loans. We've seen that go up against the courts and fail. So when it comes to regulating private industry, I don't really know. Yeah. The executive branch has far more power in an order to regulate how federal agencies and government workers use AI. So I imagine they might be going to the Pentagon, talking to Pentagon officials, talking to officials that may be the DOE, the Department of Education, and being like, craft some rules around how the government can use AI. And I imagine that's probably where we're going to end up with that.
1: You've mentioned this a couple of times, but... It's a thread that I think is really interesting and worth pulling on. The fact that Washington pretty broadly was caught flat-footed by social media and all the different ways in which it can change our society and affect businesses and education and, and, you know, really everything we do, I I wonder how much the ghost of that failure hangs over this conversation about AI
3: talk about it hanging over. I think another problem is that they still have to work on that stuff too. (laughs) Uh, There are still rules that they're trying to get passed this year. Um, Biden has made it a priority to have some kind of child privacy and online protection rules put in place before the election. Congress has to do that. (laughs) They also have so much other stuff that they have to do when it came to the child privacy stuff earlier this year, that coincided with the debt ceiling. That was really important and they needed to get that done. And the child privacy got tossed to the side because of other priorities, right? And so we talk about, you know, how these past failures have loomed over while well, now they're just getting a really big bucket of stuff they have to do. And then they have to reprioritize. So are they going to go ahead and do child privacy on the tech front or will they prioritize AI? Now, Congress, I don't want to say that they are, it's impossible for them to, you know, oh my gosh, like the phrase, uh, walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, you go to DC, you'll hear that a hundred times a day. But I do think that Congress and their staffs are limited and they have to make choices.
1: McKenna Kelly, thank you for your reporting and for talking with me. Of course. Happy to be here. McKenna Kelly is a politics reporter at The Verge, and Congressman Don Beyer represents Virginia's 8th District. All right, that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of what we're doing here, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. You get all your Slate podcasts with no ads. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We will be very thankful. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.
0: Coming soon from Slate Podcasts.
1: So, first it was Dade
2: County